0: You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, trade and technology, politics, security, and a lot more. I'm Jeff Rathke, President of the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. So I'd like to welcome all the listeners to this episode of The Zeitgeist. We've got a very special guest uh, with us uh, today and that is Dr. Jill McGovern. Jill, thanks for being with us today.
1: Certainly, thank you for inviting me. It's a great honor.
0: I am in Munich. Uh, Jill and Eric Langenbacher uh, are in Washington, DC, and we're speaking on July 10th. And this is part of uh, an initiative that I will give full credit to Eric for, uh, which is to, to have a series of conversations on the occasion of our 40th anniversary here at the American German Institute. And there are a few people who can comment um, with, uh, with such insight and experience as Jill McGovern, who is one of the longest affiliated members of the AGI uh, community. Uh, Jill, can you say a word about how you first came into contact uh, with this institute? Or before I mean, it was even an institute, maybe. Uh,
1: I. It, indeed, it. What it was not an institute. It was a, an idea for an institute, and um, in 1981, I was doing a postdoctoral fellowship at Johns Hopkins University, and I was working with the senior uh, administration uh, in this fellowship, and of course that meant I was working with the president, who was Stephen Muller, and. One of the first appointments he had while I was there was with one R. Gerald Livingston. Jerry Livingston had come in in 1981 to talk with Steve about the possibility of uh, forming an institute that would be a think tank different than any others uh, at that time and probably since uh, that would um, address Germany and contemporary issues. Hence the name, the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. So that was 1981. And over the next two years, uh, with discussions uh, that Jerry had with other uh, parties interested in contemporary Germany, uh, this notion of having a think tank affiliated with Johns Hopkins University, that would look at Germany, but doing something that others regard as radical to look at both German states. It was clear in uh, the end of the the, the 70s that East Germany seemed to be here to stay. So hard to ignore uh, a country in the middle of Europe and uh, uh, hard to ignore its relationship, not just with West Germany, but also with the eastern countries so this notion of having a an institute that would focus on both german states was new uh, but there was an appetite for it and so
0: it took a couple of years though for the institute to get to, to get off the ground were there particular challenges that uh, that made uh, that we can attribute that to, or was it just the natural Uh, intellectual development of the idea?
1: It was both the uh, natural evolution of a a new not-for-profit, focusing on the content, as you say, the intellectual capacity of uh, such an entity, but also the reality of of forming uh, a not-for-profit, going through the legal issues, uh, more importantly, trying to find the financial resources for this entity. And so it took a while to form a board. Uh, the board um, was made was made up of distinguished individuals who shared this idea, had thought that the uh, this was the right time to do this. there was a, a loss of of German history with a generation of of, of uh, academics who had left Germany and were. Elsewhere, not really capturing the history of the, of the of the contemporary period, and so that was a good reason to ha- have this uh, institute formed. But also, as I said, the world was different since '49, and so we need to look at it differently and with fresh eyes. Uh, so the the it just took time, and uh, the time was needed to approach. Distinguished individuals, including somebody who would agree to serve as the first chairman of the board, and uh, and other members who would come on board. Uh, the first chairman, uh, as many people don't realize, was a man named Don Rumsfeld, a well-known name I think then and now because of the many roles he played in his public service. Uh, but at the time, in the early '80s, he was. Uh, not in the public sector, but he was in the private sector, and he was president of Searle. Searle was a pharmaceutical company that ultimately became a part of Monsanto, but at that time, uh, it was Searle based in Chicago, which was uh, Don Rumsfeld's home territory anyway, and he was someone who had kind of all the ingredients we were looking for in a, a leader. He had had experience in the in the government sector, as well as the private sector, and he had German roots. He he was proud of those German roots, and I think he highlighted them uh, in his role as our chairman, which was for a period of two years. And then we needed needed board members, and uh, we were very fortunate that we had two former ambassadors from the U.S. to Germany who had agreed to serve on the on the founding board. And those were uh, George McGee and uh, Ken Rush. And then others came on board who were out of the private sector. And that was a very important uh, aspect of this. It was private sector corporations that had interest in German uh, business, Maybe perhaps already had uh, representation in Germany, but they were American corporations, and it was felt at that time it was very key to have support from the American private sector because this was the American Institute, now the American German Institute, and so having that kind of support from corporations uh, who were already uh, interested in the in the German scene. Uh, we had representation from McKenzie, from Mobil Oil, uh, the uh, co- a German company in the U.S. American Hookst uh, which uh, doesn't exist with that name now, but uh, was very prominent at the time. So we had had a, had a nice representation. It wasn't exclusively American corporate leaders, but it, it was the predominantly so. And the reason that was important to the Institute at that time was that. The goal was to have funding only from the private sector. I'm sure you could name uh, a number of uh, organizations that had received funding from the German government to promote uh, German interests. Uh, you, could, you could come up with those names, but that was German money. And this, the goal here was to have, make sure that as we started, it would be American money supporting this American, looking at Germany, from that perspective.
2: If I can just interject for a second, I personally think that it's remarkable that it took only two years from <laughs> the genesis of the idea to actually launching the Institute. I think that in the Washington DC nonprofit environment, that really is you know, uh, quite a, a track record. But can I just ask one little follow-up sure. about the kind of foundational period? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you reminded us that one of the motivations behind AICGS was to talk about both German states, including the communist East German regime. Was that controversial? I mean, did you do, you do you recall any kind of pushback? I mean, this is still during the Cold War, the old kind of hard cold warriors were still kind of influential. And so did, were people uncomfortable with that, that maybe this would normalize the, you know, rather nasty dictatorship that was operative?
1: That's a very good question. And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> there there was soft, I wouldn't say resistance, but um, awareness that this could be an issue. And I think this was overcome first by the leadership of the board, that you had people who knew Germany uh, and who were comfortable uh, focusing on both German states. And secondly, this Institute was associated with Johns Hopkins University and if there's any more German <laughs> Institute than Hopkins there uh, I don't know what it is and that the founding founding principles were based on uh, uh Humboldtian principles from what is at the, was at that time East Germany in in Berlin uh, that came from Humboldt University or the University of Berlin so it was it was in the background and But I don't recall any active resistance. I think there was just wanting to uh, make people aware and also explain why it was important to to, to do this. And that gave uh, the Institute a real distinction from any other think tank uh, that looked at transatlantic relations.
2: Well, that flows really nicely into uh, the next question that we wanted to, to pose. And we've already talked a little bit about the role and the value added of AICGS in the early years, with this focus on you know both German states as well as a focus on you know not just political issues but also economic and business issues as well. But how do you think this role has changed? There obviously have been quite a few existential events, <laughs> like the end of the Cold War, the reunification of uh, Germany, um, continued European integration, etc. So you know what do you think the
1: role is today and and looking forward what do you think the role might be in the future could i just step back just to remind people what 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 happened in those pre unification days because that was that was a really a, a thrust of the institute's uh, efforts is to look at the what ifs what if there were unification and so a lot of the activities uh, in those first 6 years from '83 to '89, uh, looked at those those issues and, but also provided a forum uh, for rigorous discussion of West and East Germany. And uh, I I would say that there was a extraordinarily high level of of uh, intercourse re- involving uh, distinguished individuals from West Germany or new West Germany. I'm thinking specifically of Ralph Darndorff, who was very active and spoke at the Institute on a number of occasions. And if there's anyone who bridges West Germany and, and uh, the Western world, it was it was Lord Darndorf. Um, but also representation from East German individuals. And three come to mind, uh, whom I had the opportunity to hear as they appeared at AICGS in, in various uh, forums. And one was Hermann Ochsen. Hermann Ochsen uh, was somebody who, who was a member of the Central Committee of the Politburo in East Germany and had a very interesting history. And uh, he was a communist, but he he was re- also served in the resistance to the Nazis. And so he, he was incarcerated a number of times. And at this discussion uh, where he was present, he talked about being in some incarcerated situation. I don't know if it was a POW camp or something in France. And this facility had a library. And he said that's how he learned English, by reading books of that library. And so he was able to conduct his the discussions uh, in English as, as well as, which was unusual for east Germans at that time to have the mastery of, of English. Another person you'll know who's still on the scene was, as I like to describe, my young pup when he was here at AICGS at the time, and that was Gregor Gisi. And so he has, in a, a way, has paralleled <laughs> our growth. Uh, I don't know if you would say he's grown or not, but anyway, he's he was uh, you know a leader, a uh, very young leader uh, with the SED, and then uh, now member of the Bundes Bundestag uh, and still on the scene, I believe, and and I, I, so it you know to have heard him back then when it it was still East Germany it, it was uh, you know surprising to me, and then someone I did not hear but I knew was here at the institute Lothar de Mazière, who has has the distinction of being the only premier of independent <laughs> DDR, and uh, so that that's. Tells you the kind of level of person who we attracted, and the kind of discussions we had at that time. Trying to be very even-handed between the East and West, and have the have the uh, those perspectives represented in our discussions. But let me uh, jump forward a little bit to uh, some of the things that the institute has always done, uh, and that is to just challenge. The current, the current, the status quo on a range of issues. You've mentioned a number of them, um, and to um, do another important function, which is to have scholarship associated with AICGS and extensive program of fellowships over the years. And the um, one person I always think of with the fellowship program, our very first uh, visiting scholar was uh, Norbert Balter who was uh, at that time with a, a, an institute himself, but he became the chief economist for Deutsche Bank and, and was a very loyal alumnus of uh, AGI uh, until he passed away. And you know that, that's the kind of person we attract, have attracted people who are maybe mid-career, already have a reputation, but who are going on to uh, other distinguished roles uh, and have had this opportunity that AICGS AGI has uh, provided them to have have time to consider uh, issues and that's what what we provide here at the at the institute
2: well if i can just pipe in for a second sure um i agree a million percent with your assessment of what ai agi's value added is both in the uh, past and in, in, in the present Um, And I'm really glad that you mentioned our fellowship program, because I think it's just, I mean, it really amazes me on a daily basis, the folks that we have coming through here. I mean, you mentioned people like Ralph Dierendorf, which we all read in graduate school, Society and Democracy in Germany and stuff like that. But we still have just amazing people that are coming through, you know, politicians from all kind of uh, levels. I remember a meeting we had with Boris Pistorius. I guess that was about a year and a half ago. This is long before anybody thought he would be defense minister and the most popular politician in Germany. So, I mean, I think we have such a a, a good reputation and we're going to continue to do that in the future, but it just it it never ceases to amaze me the quality of people we have coming through giving talks, doing research and and everything like that.
1: And if we look we'll go back 40 years and we're able to tally all the people who have spoken here and say nothing of the people who've been honored through our Global Leadership Award dinner. Uh, I mean, the most distinguished uh, individuals who care about the U- German-U.S. relationship. So, Including former Chancellor Angela Merkel right, one year. Right. And I have to say that
2: I think one of the biggest achievements of Hopkins and AGI was giving her the honorary degree. Right. Gosh, was that two years ago already? Mm-hmm. That, that, that was something very special.
1: Right. It was indeed. And that's one of my happy memories, um, I would like to just comment on on the um, things that A- AGI has been able to accomplish, and one of them has to do with the programming. And the framework for what what is now the three areas of concentration really began from the beginning. Uh, and so that, that hasn't changed, maybe just the wording of it, but the focus uh, in the three areas has been important. And the area that I've always found um, to be perhaps the most interesting is the area of society, culture, and politics. The range of topics that AGI has addressed in that area, and I'll just tick off a few more recent ones, um, The but goes back a while and that, is the topic of reconciliation. And that of course was led by Lily Gardner Feldman and it resonates today. To with other, not just with Germany and with, but with other countries where uh, reconciliation has not been achieved to the degree it has been within Germany. I would like to suggest that maybe uh, AGI, if it hasn't already done this, is to look, go back and look at reconciliation with East, Eastern Germany. I don't think that's happened yet. And you, know, you talk with people who talk about. Germany and I've had friends from East Germany. It's it's not yet fully integrated. I don't know if you would agree, but that might be a topic for somebody to look at if they aren't already doing that. That just my humble opinion. Uh, but the other topics, the one the one program that I thought was very um uh innovative was the Transatlantic Exchange Program for Young Minorities, you know, addressing a timely topic uh that apparently has now a second wind with some other activities that you are conducting. And the most recent one, building LGBTQ communities in Germany and the U.S. I think this is a bold uh, and important uh, area for us to be involved with. And that's been kind of the the uh, way AGI has operated, is to take these topics and look at them, not just on a one-off basis, but with with um over a period of time and the fact that there's funding for this tells me that it's the right thing to be doing and that one particularly the current one that where you're now advertising for participants uh is right right on the money
2: well i have to say that i'm so happy you brought that up because this is a project that i feel very you know strongly that is needed. But I was also kind of surprised because I would just think that, well, somebody's done this before, but this is really the value added that HEI brings is that, you know, we think, I think creatively, we think about stuff that matters to people today and we do it right. when when other people just aren't. And it seems like this is the continuity over 40 plus years now that we were doing things that people weren't doing in the 80s regarding two German states. And now we're doing things that, that are, you know, uh, uh, uh important today.
1: Absolutely, no, and that's, you know, just that being bold, uh, uh, understanding how something like that will fit into the mission of the Institute, and also because of the size of the organization, being nimble, being able to do this very quickly, I think relatively quickly, this particular program was mounted uh, in a relatively short period of time, and uh, the fact that it's going forward in in the heat of the moment here in the U.S., where not necessarily um, everybody would support it, but we're out there doing the right thing. So um, the other other point I'd make about programming that you you'd alluded to earlier, Eric, is that all the way along the line we've responded to these current events, shall we say, things that were might have been anticipated, uh, probably were in some way. But you know, going back to 1989, for example, uh, to think that. Um, you know, from 83 to 89, we were thinking about the future, but not anticipating exactly when it would happen, not knowing when that would happen, but do, but doing uh, position papers, other things that were anticipating what if, uh, what would that mean for the economies of the two countries? What would that mean in terms of cultural uh, situations and things like that? So that is something that that is uh, something that's been a hallmark. And also, just every four years, or I guess every four or <laughs> five years, when with the elections, we've we've addressed in a nonpartisan way, uh, trying to offer guidance to the incoming president and to the incoming chancellor, uh, what we see on the horizon for the next four years, and uh, you know that's been a very a very I think uh, you, know, you could gather those together in a nice. Volume to show trends uh, that we had anticipated, uh, of course, responding to the pandemic, um, and the implications of that for, for in the geo and economic sphere, for example, was also uh, something more recent and an area that um, is of particular interest to me is how Germany and the U.S. interact with China, and that's been going on. For how many how many years have that uh, focus on China and that kind of triangulation? Uh, it,
0: predate, it predates my arrival, so at least six years.
1: <laughs> so you know that's that was the, uh, that's the reality of of uh, the world and the kind of the globalization of our world and being ahead of the curve. I'd like to think. So the the dynamic uh, and uh, nimble are two words I would use to uh, describe our programs.
2: I I would agree with that. (laughs) Okay. Um, So maybe moving on to our our final question, that would have to do with um, your fondest memories or your most impactful interactions over the decades here at AGI.
1: Well, um, many, many fond and happy memories mostly because of uh, association with my late husband and the fact that uh, he was part of that group, along with Jerry Livingston, Tom Farmer, and others, Tom Hughes, who thought this would be a good idea and it has proven to be so. But I'll just go back to uh, a moment in June of 1983. uh, This was the first formal board meeting. It was kind of the organizing board meeting, I know we date the founding of uh, AGI to October of 1983, which also was a memorable moment when we had the first uh, uh, gathering, shall we say, with of the bo- of the board and uh, speaker. But in 19 19- in June of '83 was the first board meeting. <clears throat> it took place in our in the in space at our one of our favorite partners, the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins uh, in a in a room there. And because Don Rumsfeld was president of Searle, uh, we were very concerned about making sure we had everything just right. And that would mean in the coffee service, having packets of equal. Equal was a new product on the market and was made by Searle. So, my memory <laughs> was Jerry Livingston running around trying to find some equal to be able to put in the coffee service. And he succeeded, as he did in so many ways, in leading the being the first leader of a- AGI. Another more serious memory is one that I'm not sure either of you are even aware of which was, uh, in 1988, a symposium that was organized, symposium, symposium on the contemporary German mind. Have you heard of this?
2: I have not.
1: Jeff, had you ever read, heard anything about this? No. This was a tour de force in terms of a program under the Society of Culture and Politics rubric, and it brought to Baltimore to, to the Hopkins campus where this event took place a who's who of intellectual German thought: uh, Hans Magnus uh Jurgen Habermas, Peter Peter Sloterdijk, um, Hartmut and Hindick. It was a very distinguished group who'd been invited to come and participate in a two or three day event and having discussions with American counterparts. Fritz Stern was one of them, if you can call him a counterpart, because he really was (laughs) both sides, uh, uh, German and and US and others. And it was one of the most stimulating programs. And there were papers that came out of that, which surely must be in the archives. Of AGI, but it was looking at in 1988 what was the thinking of the intellectual uh, leadership of the country at that time, anticipating, but not knowing exactly when a year later uh, the the wall would come down, and so that was a very bold uh, effort, but had had sponsorship and was. Um, as I said, very stimulating and really represented a kind of rigorous study that AGI would do of a topic that was not the obvious one. So that's that was a happy memory. Another poignant memory was in 2001. Uh, we had planned the 2001 Global Leadership Award dinner uh, which, which was scheduled to take place in November. And the uh, Jack H- James was at the helm at the time. And there was, of course, very serious discussion about whether we should proceed. You both know how important that event is for uh, AGI. It gives us the kind of visibility that we need uh, uh, with leaders, uh, based, many, many of whom are based in New York and many of whom come from Germany for that very event. The guest of honor that night was to be Paul Volcker. Uh, couldn't be more distinguished uh, than the former, or, or then Fed, and maybe he wasn't then the Fed president, but uh, someone who was uh, known widely beyond the sphere of the financial world and what to do. And so the board considered this and the decision was made to proceed. And it was the right decision because the feeling was, especially when it was taking place in New York, that we will keep moving. Our world has to keep moving and we have to address the issues that were the root causes of this tragic event in September of 2001, but we need to be looking ahead. And this took place at uh, a venue, Cipriani 42nd Street, which was an old bank building, it was a little bit small for the crowd that came out that night. Uh, and it was there was just such a um, warmth uh, and appreciation that we had proceeded, proceeded with this, and that we were, again, focusing on the future. So that was a, a very touching moment. You mentioned another moment that I was very happy about and that was the when Johns Hopkins awarded the honorary degree to Chancellor Merkel. And I was especially touched uh, because in her remarks and someone surely helped her with those remarks, there was a reference to Steve and the work he had done for US-German relations and I appreciated that. And then, um, just now looking at our 40th anniversary uh, this is um, you know time to as we have done today reflect on the past and and the and how you know, our foundation over the last 40 years but it's also a kind of a pivotal moment to look t- to the next 40 years Some of us won't be around then but we want to make sure that the Institute uh, continues to exist and do its good work so the campaign, Uh, that we have underway now will provide the resources that we need to just strengthen our position, stabilize it, and allow us to build on it going forward with new initiatives. Who knows what uh, topics we'll be addressing in the next year or so.
0: You know, um, every conversation uh, I have with you, Jill, is uh, always uh, extremely thoughtful, at least from your side. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, you have uh, you know, outlined uh, some of the some of the many things that have happened at this organization over the years that is uh, a challenge to us i think uh, to remain at the top of uh, of our game and to find new ways to engage new audiences uh, and it's also inspiring um to to know that we uh, we have uh, this legacy that we are Uh, able to carry forward. So um, I want to thank you for for sharing uh, these uh, perspectives and uh, these memories also uh, with us today. And most importantly, uh, I want to thank you for being such an ardent and engaged supporter of of this institute, um, uh, as you described today, since even before the beginning.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's it's really been my, my pleasure to talk with you and Eric today. And uh, it's really a privilege to be associated with AGI.
2: It was so nice to hear all of your memories over the years. I was also taking notes, by the way, okay. Okay. for um, things that we should uh, address very soon. So this is just terrific. Thank you. You're most yeah. welcome.
0: And to all of our listeners out there, uh, thanks for being with us today. And we look forward to having you with us on the next episode of The Zeitgeist. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. You may know us under our old name, the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. Send us your feedback by email at info at AICGS.org or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we have new handles at A-M-G-E-R-I-N-S-T. And also please visit our website at AmericanGerman.institute formerly AICGS, and we'll look
1: forward to seeing you there. Thanks.